little word in prayer, and I'm going to ask our um, attendants to come up, and they will collect the offering. This is strictly for those people who have been here for a while and who are um, invested in the jar. If you're new here, we're not interested in your money. Just drop your Connect cards in there. And if you'll bow your heads, we'll have a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the nice weather and the signs that uh, spring's on the way. We thank you for um, allowing us to gather here today and uh, worship and praise you. We ask that you be with Chris as he comes forward to give his message and be with us as we go home and guide us safely home. In your name, amen. Here's the right reverend. Well, good morning. Welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here this morning. And uh, the reason I'm really excited is because we are beginning a brand new series called Just Walk Across the Room. And over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is talk about how uh, you can make small walks across rooms that can have eternal impacts uh, on people's lives. And I think it's going to radically kind of change uh, your understanding of evangelism. Now, evangelism is a four-letter word. It just has more letters than that. And uh, there's one thing that both uh, Christians and non-Christians have in common. They hate evangelism. In fact, evangelism is a lot like going to a dentist. You know, we hate to go to a dentist, but every once in a while, you have to go anyway. And uh, most of the time, when we think of the word evangelism... We're uh, thinking of a big man behind a big oak pulpit, and he looks kind of mean, and he says, Jesus says that you may have taken your shoes off this morning. But the undertaker may take them off tonight if you don't come to Jesus. And people freak out and they're like, man, I only got five pairs of shoes, you know, and what's going to happen? Or we've been at home before and we get the knock. Mormon, Jehovah Witness, whatever, you need Jesus and this is the way you can do it. And basically, when people use those kind of tactics, it's kind of a uh, turn or burn kind of mentality. Now, if you've ever experienced that before, the you-need-Jesus face, or you've ever had a shark come to your door with the you know fin out going, do-do-do-do-do-do, I'm going to convert you, relax. Because what we're going to talk about the next four weeks is not that. But we're going to talk about how small walks across rooms can have eternal impact on people's lives. And there's no formula, there's no quizzes, there's no test, there's nothing that you have to know except you have to be breathing. If you would, look to the person beside you, just make sure no one's dead yet. And uh, are they still alive? Okay, well good. Walking across the room. You know, at the age of 28, I kind of did a spiritual inventory of my life. I had been a pastor for five years in which the church 
had doubled in size, which was good. I was a pretty good communicator and a leader. And I was working on my master's degree to know how to do church even better. But when I looked at all the friends that were around me, every single one of them was a Christian. I mean, all of them were Christians. Even their dogs were Christians. You ever seen a Christian dog before? Me neither. But it, you know. and, and God just kind of uh, gave me a prompting in my spirit and said, Chris, I didn't call you to be a part of the Huddle Cuddle Church. You ever been a part of the Huddle Cuddle Church before? Everybody huddles and cuddles and no one else is invited in. But I called you to reach out to people who are disconnected from God. And then I went to a conference uh, one, uh, one week in which uh, the author of the book that if you haven't got one, you can pick one up today. But uh, Bill Hybels was teaching. And uh, he just looked out to all this group of pastors and he says, When are you going to get off your butts and walk across rooms and introduce yourself to people who are far from God? And man, I was determined. I came back to Muncie, the church hadn't started yet, and I was like, I'm going to walk across every single uh, house in my neighborhood until people come into a relationship with God. You know what I did? I got back, sat on a couch, barricaded myself in my house, and thought, God, you're not fair because you're not helping me to start this church. And then one day I was looking out my window, and... All of a sudden, I just felt this little whisper in my spirit that said, go take out the trash. And I thought, well, I don't want to take out the trash. I got, you know, the trash isn't ready to go out. I'd have to go around to all the rooms. You know how it is. You got the little small, little trash, and you got to get all those, and you put them in the bigger one, and it's just a pain, and I don't want to do that. And then again, I just felt this whisper in my spirit, go take out the trash. And so I went out to the big green barrel that we all have, you know, and I rolled it down to the end of the driveway. And just as I was walking out, my neighbor who had just moved in was bringing his trash down. And I had just, you know, been at this conference about walking across places. And so I walked across the street and scared to death what to do. I just put out my hand. And I said, my name's Chris. And he said, my name's Phil. And we talked very briefly, and, and that was it. And then I realized that it was trash day, so I went back in, got all the trash collected, but I didn't want Phil to think I was you know, some weird person. So I waited till dark, and then I took all my trash out because there was nothing in the trash can. And I put it all in there. Whatever well, the next year, uh, Phil and I went to several uh, sporting events together, uh, I'd always say, hey, can you help me with this home improvement project? Which basically meant he did it all, and I sat there and said, man, you're good at that. Wow, you're really good. And we shoveled each other's drives. We had tons of talks, and as he shared more, he said, you know, Chris, I know you're a pastor, and I appreciate the fact you've never kind of forced anything on me. But And I grew up in the church. I was connected, but, you know, when I got to high school, I just kind of you know, said that was it. And then I got married and we just didn't really connect with God very much. And, you know, then I went through this painful divorce and he told me about the pain that was in that. And he said, you know, it wasn't like I didn't know God. I just drifted away. 
And so one day uh, I walked across the street again and I said, hey, Phil, we're doing this mission trip for people that don't go to church. We're going to Mexico. You know, you like to work and do a lot of stuff. And so would you come and, and be a part of that? And we were with a couple other folks and uh, we went to, down to Mexico and uh, spent a whole week building things. And we came back and I decided with that group of people who were disconnected from God that we would start this thing called the jar. And I asked Phil if he would do that. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And we started this little Bible study with six people called the jar. And Phil connected with Jesus, grew in that relationship, and he invited many of you who are here today because of that. And you know what, folks? It all started with me just taking a walk across the street to reach out to one of my neighbors. You know, folks, when people ask you, what is the single greatest gift you can give to someone? It's not a plasma screen. It's nothing monetarily that you could give. But the answer is this. It's when you introduce them to the God who created them, who loves them, and who has a purpose for their life. It's the greatest gift you could ever give to anybody is to introduce them. Not force them, not pound the pulpit, not beat them down. Just introduce them to the God who created them, who loves them, and who has a purpose for their life. It's not monetary gain. It's not job promotions. It's not recognition. It's not awards. None of those things. Because when you boil it all down, folks, evangelism isn't a guy pounding on a pulpit, but it is just ordinary people choosing to have eyes that are open in rooms to walk across and reach out to folks who are disconnected from God. It's not about evangelism tracks. You ever get those before? Why do people put them in restrooms? You ever get to a restroom and you like open up the seat and there's this thing, you need Jesus. Like, you don't need Jesus in the bathroom. Jesus doesn't want to be in the toilet. And they try to be sneaky, put them in different places where you can find them. You don't need to know 20 verses memorized. You don't even have to be a person who comes to church every Sunday. It's just about being a person who's simply willing to take a walk every once in a while across the driveway and then share with someone about God's love. Now the question becomes how. Okay, we know why, how. How do we give the single greatest gift to someone? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to be willing to leave your circle of comfort and step into the zone of the unknown. You have to be willing to leave your circle of comfort and enter into the zone of the unknown. Now, we're going to visually kind of demonstrate this, and so I need five volunteers. So if you could just raise your hand. If not, you're going to be here longer, okay? So five people. You don't have to talk. You don't have to do anything except stand, all right? All right, come on up. Come on up. Just kind of come up. I don't, you know, I'm not a teacher. Just, here we go. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, we're good. All right. Now, uh, Patty, if you would, why don't you stand right there? All of the rest of you, why don't you come over here for a second? This is Michelle. And what's your name? Paige, okay. Chris? Brad, okay. Now, this is the illustration, okay? Here is all of us. Let's all stand in a circle here, kind of like this, okay? 
Now, we're hanging out. This is a social setting, okay? It might be a party. You might be, uh, you know, at, a, at work. You might be with family, friends, whatever. But we're all here. We're hanging out in our circle of comfort. Anyone ever been in a circle of comfort before? Yeah. You're hanging out with people you know. You like them. And we're all sitting here, and all of a sudden, have you ever scanned across the room and you notice that there's a person on the other side of the room and like they are all alone? They're by themselves. Now, this group right here, I know these people. I like them. We get to uh, hang out together. But you look across the room and you see someone... And they're all alone, and maybe they need a word of encouragement. Maybe they need someone just to say, hey, I'm not, you know, a wallflower here. I'm not invisible. I would like, you know, someone to at least uh, recognize me. But this is what I've found in my life, is that it's a lot safer over here, isn't it? You don't have to take a risk. It feels good. We know these people. I mean, we might even hug each other and we're, you know, talking. We're hanging out together. But if I took a walk across there, it would take risk, it would be scary, and I would be going into the zone of the unknown. But let's say that we're in a social setting, or we're at work, or wherever you're at, and you're with a group of folks, and you look over there. And let's say, for instance, that Michelle looks across and she sees Patty way over there. And uh, all of a sudden, she kind of hears this whisper, go over and say hi. And uh, what, what Michelle could do is she could say, excuse me, you know, excuse me. And she just starts walking. And as she's walking, she's praying all the time, you know, as I reach out my hand, I hope that the person will say something. And that I'll know what to say. And that will connect. But you have to excuse yourself from your circle of comfort if you ever are to reach out to other people. And I just was thinking this week as I've been reading this book, what if every single person in the jar or connected to the jar just became walk-across-the-room type of people? That in every setting where we were at, if there was someone by themselves, we would just take a little walk to reach out to them. I just wonder what God might do with that. Well, let's give all our volunteers a hand. You know, when I'm connected to Jesus, when I'm open to kind of what His Spirit is doing in my life, when I'm in a circle of comfort but I have an eye open for the rest of the room, sometimes, by God's grace, He'll just kind of prompt me to do something, and I feel this connection to go and reach out to someone who is disconnected. And I'll tell you, I know what it's like to be anxious. It's always much more easier to stay in your comfort circle in every situation. But we've all been that person, maybe on the other side one time, that someone came and we felt so awesome that someone recognized us. I know what it's like to stick out your hand and say, my name's Chris, what's your name? And uh, why are you at this event? But I also know what it's like 
to enter the zone of the unknown and see conversations that seem very surfacy all of a sudden start talking about spiritual matters in life. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better when you take that risk and you do that and you walk across and all of a sudden the person is actually open to spiritual matters. So here's the question for each of you to ponder. What would happen if you took a few steps across the room? I mean, is it possible to impact someone's life for eternity by simply taking a few steps across the room? Maybe even an entire family. Could you change the history of an entire group of folks, entire family, by simply taking ten steps across the room to someone who will spend, who is headed for a Christless eternity? If a walk could do that, if you could take a walk like that, would you be willing to take that risk? Is ten steps worth the risk? The Bible says this, and uh, let's read it together. All of us together, it'll come up on three. One, two, three. For we walk... That's all of us. Is not up there yet? Oh, okay. Every single person, okay? It's right there. It says four. Okay? Let's read it together. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And I've learned that when my eyes are more focused on faith than fear, then I'm willing to take some steps. And friends, if you desire to connect more with Jesus, and that's why you're here today, that's the only reason I know why anyone would come to church, besides maybe being guilted into it by your spouse, but you're here anyway. And if you're here, I'm telling you, if you connect with Jesus long enough, He's going to ask you to take a step of faith. He's going to ask you to walk across a room. It might be at work, it might be at school, it might be in a social setting, it might be at store, it might be at your kid's basketball game. Sometimes you'll have a lot of time to be able to take that walk, and sometimes your schedule will be insane, and you'll be thinking, no way! But that prompting, that whisper will come whenever and whatever it wants to do. And this is what I'm convinced of, that when Christ followers like you and me stop taking walks across rooms, the day we stay glued to our circle of comfort and we refuse to take a walk, we refuse to leave kind of that circle of comfort and go into the zone of the unknown, the day that Christ followers stop taking walks across with other people, I'm telling you, it's lights out for the kingdom of God on earth when you start doing that. Well, here's the second way we give the single greatest gift to someone. And it's this. We listen for the Holy Spirit's promptings. We listen for the Holy Spirit's promptings. Now, you might be here for the very first time. And you might be saying, Holy Spirit, what's that about? You know? I mean, I've heard Harry Carey say, Holy cow before. But what is Holy Spirit all about in those promptings? Well, in order to be effective in the zone of the unknown, you'll never do it on your own. You have to kind of have a whisper, a sense of walking across the room. 
And when I say the Holy Spirit, all that is is God's Spirit. You see, what happened was, when Jesus came to earth, He taught and He let people know that they would always be loved if they came to Him. And then after about 33 years, everyone just kind of rejected and didn't want Him except a small group of people. And He died on a cross and then He ascended into heaven. But He said, before I go back to heaven, I'm going to leave My Spirit here for all of you. And I'll tell you, Life works better when you're listening to that spirit than your own spirit. Now, before you get the wrong idea about what this looks like, let me tell you that being available to the movement of the Holy Spirit doesn't always work out the way that you think it would. In fact, there's a story in the Bible about a guy by the name of Elijah. His story's in the Old Testament. It's in Kings if you want to read it later on. But Elijah was kind of like a pastor. Now, the problem is, many, uh, many people in our culture, and throughout the world for that matter, kind of have this false idea that pastors have like a direct line to God. Like, God calls me up and says, Chris, how's it going today? Just want to give you uh, kind of what I want you to do today. Audibly, telling me exactly what to do. It's never happened, folks. It's never happened in my life. I don't get a direct call, a direct line. But that's just not the case. So let's listen to Elijah's story to try to understand how God might communicate to us. The Bible says this, The Lord said to Elijah, Go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet, what's it say? Whisper. So Elijah's like, dude, I'm getting ready to go to the mountain. God is going to speak to me. And all of a sudden, a hurricane wind comes. And he thinks, absolutely, God's going to speak to me through nothing. Okay, well, here's an earthquake. The earth starts quaking. Surely, God's going to come right now. Nothing. Well, a fire comes, you know. And there was this guy named Moses, and there was this burning bush, and there was a fire there. So surely, he's going to talk in the fire again. You know, he's going to do it again. Nothing. And then it says, God came with what? A whisper. You know, I don't know about you, but in my life, whispers have been some of the most important uh, communications from God ever. Just whispers. Listening to the promptings of the Spirit. That's kind of been my evangelism strategy for the last ten years. I just kind of listen. And sometimes I follow through and sometimes I don't. Now, I've heard about these evangelists, you know, that they get on a plane in New York and they fly to L.A. And by the time they get to L.A., they have converted everyone on the plane. People are crying, oh, Jesus, we love you. Oh, God. And the whole, tr- the whole plane becomes a church. And they walk out and you've heard those kind of stories, haven't you? You know, I've sat in planes before and I've thought, man... Man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to help this person. 
come to Jesus. And you know what usually happens? People on planes just irritate you. And I'm sure I irritate them. Stories like that have never happened in my life. But you know what has happened? Simple walks across rooms where I just took a risk. A few years ago, I was uh, coaching Y basketball, four- and five-year-old kids. I love the Y, but they need to change that program. And one of the moms, uh, a mom was coming to church here, but her husband never darkened the door. And somehow she found out that I was going to coach this Y team. She had uh, a four or five year old uh, kid and, and she said, boy, I think it'd be good if my husband, you know, you know, and I thought, oh gosh, you know, and you know what he was thinking? I found out later. He said, I thought a pastor, please, no. Anybody but a pastor to coach with. And he was raised in a very fundamentalist church. I was talking to him this week. And uh, he, he went to the type of church you didn't go every week. You only went every other week. But you went for all day. See, like you guys are going to be out of here in like a half hour at the latest. All day. Then they ate. Then they preached more. They just did it till you know, noon. And he said... I decided once I got out, I'm not going to have anything to do with church again. And a couple of times, you know, his wife was coming to church and they signed up and and he decided to be an assistant coach. And uh, I'll still never forget being at the Northwest Y, which is on the other side of the town. And I was on one side of the gym and I could tell who he was because his wife was sitting there like, Hi! I'm thinking, oh, man. And so I took a walk across this room, and as I was walking, this was my prayer. Never forget it. God, help me be cool and not a fool. And I walked across, reached out my hand. I said, my name's Chris. He said, my name's Mark. I said, man, it's great uh, to be able to uh, have you, you know, coaching on the team. Now, in a circle of comfort, I would have been talking to him. Hey, buddy, how you doing? And I just felt another whisper, quit talking, start the practice. And so I turned around, blew the whistle real loud. All these four- and five-year-old kids are there, you know, they're scared. And I didn't even care. Because what I wanted was Mark to know that I wasn't one of those little, you know, passive, puny pastors that wasn't competitive. And we started running those kids through all kinds of drills. They're going up and down. They're going, oh, mommy, keep running, kid, you know. And we got to the end of the practice and they, we had suicides. These are foreign. If you know what a suicide is, you just, pretty much you just kill yourself running. And I had these kids doing suicides and parents are, you know. And I was like, I'll tell you one thing. Mark might think. I don't want to go to his church, but he's not going to say, man, that dude, he's competitive, you know. And we continued to coach together for several weeks. And uh, not long after that, I was up here teaching, and it was right over there. I looked down, and I couldn't believe it. Mark was sitting with Cresta, but they had never sat there, or he had never been to church before. And, you know, I wanted to play it off cool, so, you know. 
I just, I don't know what I did, to be honest. <laughs> but he just started coming regularly. And uh, it was funny, because he would rib me all the time. Like if I made a mistake, like that right there that I just did. And I'd stand up here and people would greet, and he'd come up and he goes, well, that's a good thing you're a good communicator, because you suck as a coach. That always gives you a lot of encouragement, you know. And eventually, uh, wife, uh, eventually, Mark and his uh, wife, Cresta, got baptized. He's been reading his Bible regularly. You know what? It all started with just a small little walk across the gymnasium floor where I was thinking, God, just help me not be a fool. Help me look cool. And he did the rest. Now, I know some of you are sitting right there. Okay, Bunch, we got this idea of walking across rooms. But you're saying to yourself, I understand it, but you know that walking across, that's for the spiritual superstars. That's for pastors. That's for people who really know the Bible. Like, I'm here for the first time, or I've only been coming for a, a little while, or I don't know much about the Bible. I ain't one of them, Bunch. And you know what? If you're thinking that right now and you're sitting there, you're wrong. Because the fact is, folks, every single person in this place can walk across the room. This is something that every single person can decide to do and you can learn to do. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to train and equip you to help you understand how small walks really do make huge impacts through the power of God. Now, you might be here for the first time or, uh, you know, you're, you're just checking this whole Jesus thing out and you're sitting there and go, Bunch, why should I walk anyway? Why should I walk? I mean, why should I have my eyes open in settings, spiritual settings? Why should I leave my circle of comfort with the people that I know and walk across the room? Why should I do that? And I want you to understand... This, the answer is because Jesus walked across a room for you. In fact, he didn't just walk across a room, folks. He walked across the cosmos and he reached out his hand to you and to me and the rest of the world. And he said, you know what? I love you no matter what. In fact, the Bible says this. He, Jesus, always had the nature of God but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He's in heaven. He's been there since the beginning of time. He is hanging out in community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he says, now it's time to be a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death. His death on the cross. Jesus is God's Son. He's in heaven. No worries, nothing. He's just enjoying fellowship, connection, community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And He receives this call from God the Father that says, I want you to go to earth. He took the longest human walk that anyone has ever taken in their entire life. 
He took on human flesh. And He lived among us. He came to this messed up place called the zone of the unknown. And when He got here, folks, He wasn't accepted. Do you remember the story of Christmas? There was no what at the end? Room. And throughout His whole life, there was never room for Him. He was rejected, despised, and then eventually He paid a huge price, a gigantic price for that walk across the cosmos for you and me. And you might be asking, well, why did He do that? Why would anyone do that? Well, the Bible says this. Let's read it together. Let's do better than last time, okay? But the Bible says this on three. One, two, three. But God has shown us how much He loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Why did Jesus walk across a room, a cosmos? Because of His great love for you. He loves you more than any other person will ever love you. He's not here to judge you, condemn you. He's here to love. And because of that walk, when you turn to Him, you get three things. Your sins are forgiven forever. You have a new reason for living, and you have a home in heaven. And one day when you stand before God in heaven, He's going to ask you, how was your walk? Because He wants you to know that what I did, I want you to do. I want you to walk across rooms and reach out to people. I want you to be a walk-across-the-room kind of person. And that leads us to our last point there. Just walk. Just walk. Now, one of the reasons... Some of you will lead today and go, man, I know what's going to happen. If I open my heart to this whole God thing, and I say, God, if you want me to walk, I'm going to be walking across rooms all the time, and there's going to be weird people on the other side, and I just don't want to do that. Well, you know, Jesus is God, so He's not going to make you do something that's going to always freak you out. Now, sometimes He will freak you out a little bit, but not all the time. But He is going to say, when it's time to walk, I want you to walk. And when you see, sense the whisper of His prompting, He wants you to do what He did. Now, Jesus doesn't want you to walk out of a sense of guilt or fear or obligation or duty. He just asks that, would you be open? And would you have an eye that is in rooms and social settings and an ear that's in tune with what I want to do when you're, when you're in different social groups? Jesus says, I'm going to ask you to walk across the street sometimes. I'm going to ask you to walk across a restaurant. I'm going to ask you to walk across an office complex. I'm going to ask you to walk across a factory floor or a cafeteria or a locker room or a sporting event with your kids. I'm going to ask you to leave your circle of comfort and actually walk across a room to someone in the zone of the unknown. And this is going to be good. It's going to be the best walks of your life. You just have to walk. You know, as I've uh, been reading this book, I was just amazed to think that the person who modeled and perfected this whole walk-across-the-room kind of mentality 
The best was Jesus himself. In fact, there's no other story that illustrates this better than in John 4, in which there is a woman who's at this well. And Jesus and 12 other uh, of his followers, disciples they're called, are walking one day, and they notice that there's this woman at a well. And this woman has been married five times, has been divorced five times, and we learn this later on in the story, and the person that she's with right now is not her husband. And Jesus and the disciples are walking up to the well because it's the middle of the day and they're hot and they're tired and they're exhausted and they're worn out and they're hungry and they're thirsty and they walk up towards this well and the disciples look at this beaten down woman and they're like, hey Jesus, you know what? We decided we're going to go to uh, the nice little cafe downtown where we can be in our circle of comfort. And Jesus kind of has a moment. I'm sure he was invited, and he says, No, you guys go do that. I'm going to go up to this well and talk to this woman. He makes a turn. He goes across the way to the other side of the well. And this is amazing because women in Jesus' day were second-class citizens. And Jesus was a rabbi which means a teacher of the law. He was one of the most intellectual elites, and they just didn't have anything to do with people less than them, especially women. But Jesus is different, and he walks around this well, and he reaches out his hand, and he reaches out into conversation, and eventually he starts talking about water, and he says, I'm not just talking about water, but living water that can change your life for eternity. And the Scripture tells us, And you can read this story this week. It's a cool story to read. At the end of the story, she comes to faith in God. And then all of a sudden, she walks into the rest of the town and she starts telling all them, you got to come to the person who can give you water that is living forever. It never runs out. And the Scripture tells us that over half the town came to Christ on that day simply in the next couple days because of one man who took a walk to another side of the well. You know, I was thinking about this week. Every single person that I've ever known in my life, the reason that they ever got connected with God is because somebody took a risk and they walked across a room and they introduced that person to God. It might have been a mom or a dad, a grandma or a grandpa, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. But somebody, the reason you're sitting here today is someone in your life went and walked across something at some point and said, let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. Someone took a risk to let you know of his amazing love. When we first started the jar, when we went public and we were meeting here, we had the curtain halfway down and we borrowed chairs. We're still borrowing chairs, but uh, we all met over there. And, and I knew that, man, I just had to, anyone who was disconnected from God, I just had to, you know, take some walks. Phil was the first walk, but then I needed to take more walks. And so I met this married couple one time. 
And both of them had had a really difficult past. And uh, they were struggling with some things. I said, why don't you just come to church? Actually, they came the very first time when we met upstairs where the kids meet now. And we got to know each other and connected a little bit better. And they said, man, we feel comfortable around you. And, you know, we can cuss in front of you every once in a while. And felt good about that. And they, finally they came up and they said, we want you to be in this bowling league. And I thought, bowling? Like, you put all the sports up besides like ice skating and curling? Like, bowling is my next worst thing. I don't even break a hundred. Jennifer breaks a hundred and she laughs at me. My wife. Some of you are going, who's Jennifer? And then they told me, and the league's on Sunday afternoon. When I leave from here, I'm brain dead. I'm so exhausted. And then they told me, it's going to be a 20-week league. How could you bowl for 20 weeks? But one Sunday, I was teaching. And I looked right over there. And that couple was sitting right in that area. And I was teaching, and all of a sudden, I felt this whisper say, you need to go bowling. I'm thinking, God, like, we're doing stuff here, you know? Now, I didn't hear it. Like, I didn't say, go bowling, you know? Some of you are going, man, he listened. Man, is he psychotic? No. Just like in my spirit. I looked over there and I thought, bowling, go bowling. So I signed up for the league. And the very first day that I got there, I learned that the name of the league was called, called this, the Gaston Guzzlers. Do you think bowling was the priority? No. But the team I was on was pretty competitive because I was so horrible that they loved my handicap. If you've ever bowled before, you know what that is. I was the I was what they called the gutter guzzler, okay? But each Sunday, I'd walk across that bowling alley and uh, reach out my hand, meet people who were very far from God, many of them intoxicated. And my bowling got worse and worse and worse, and I thought, well, maybe they just will think I'm drunk, you know? (laughs) And people from the church would always say, oh, would you come out to eat with us? Would you go do this? My circle of comfort, you know? Family would call, hey, we're coming down. I'd be like, oh man, I gotta go bowling, you know, and I'd, I'd walk across that alley. And the league ended, and at the end of the league, I decided I wanted to do some outreach for everyone. And so I asked the people, because I didn't know what bowlers did, I'd see them put their hand down on this air thing. I never knew what that was. I'd just do it. Never helped my game, I know that. And so they told me, they said, uh, you need it. We like towels as bowlers. And so we got Gaston Guzzlers, and then on the corner there, it says the Jar Community Church. Now, I'm not saying that everyone in the Jar, you know, is Guzzlers, but some of you are, you know. I thought it was a good idea. A couple years passed, never bowled again. 
And um, that couple went through some very difficult times, reached out to them. Eventually their marriage ended in divorce and they stopped coming to church, stopped connecting. Uh, don't really talk to them now. My heart was broken. And I, I, just, I was just sitting one moment thinking, God, why did I do that? 20 weeks of bowling? What were you thinking, God? And then this past uh, summer, a woman by the name of Lori and her husband Toby and their daughter Mackenzie uh, started coming to the jar. And I had no idea how they heard about the jar. And I found out that they lived in our same neighborhood. And uh, I run about two or three times a week, and I have a T-shirt that I usually run in. It says the jar on the back. And I thought, man, it's because I was running. You know? And then I thought, well, maybe that wasn't it. Maybe it was marketing. You know, we do a good job marketing. People know where we're at. And I bet that's what it was. And so I was sitting down to have lunch with Lori one day. And uh, I said, I'm just interested. Um, how did you guys ever hear, from, hear about the jar? And she said, you know, a few years ago, we were in a bowling league called the Gaston Guzzlers. And she said, we thought it was so cool that a church actually would be willing to give us a towel. But to be honest, Chris, I got that towel. I was glad for the towel, but we weren't thinking about church. It wasn't on our radar screen. God really wasn't connected very much. And then our daughter got older and we decided we're going to go to a church. And I remembered in that moment that there was a church that gave us a bowling towel one day. And it was from that towel that I started coming here. And all I'm saying, folks, you just never know what a walk might do. And so over the next four weeks, we are going to have the best time of your life. I'm going to learn how to walk better. You're going to learn how to walk better. We're going to get more connected into a relationship with God. We're going to know how to share our stories, how to be able to not be intimidated. And most of all, folks, we're going to have fun. Now, I'm not talking about Gaston Guzzler kind of fun, you know what I mean? We're not going to open up the tap when you leave or, you know, something like that. But it's going to be fun. You'll want to be there. So let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we just can't thank you enough. for sending Your one and only Son to cross the cosmos to have a relationship with us. That You were willing to take on human flesh, that You died on a cross for all of our sins. God, thank You for taking that walk. It's the whole reason why I stand here today knowing that I'm loved. And God, maybe someone's standing here today and they don't know that they're loved. I pray that through Your Spirit, God, You'd walk across into their heart and let them know that You 
would walk across the cosmos just for them. And God, now it's time for us to take some walks. To be your hands and feet as we walk across rooms and we show your love. God, I pray over the next few weeks that you would anoint this series in a powerful way. I pray that people would just make a commitment. You know what? I'm going to be here. Because I want to know how to walk better. Walk better with God. Walk better with people around me. Know how to take walks across rooms to show your love. And God, for every heart that's here that's been too enclosed with the circle of comfort, I pray that you would help them to know how to walk across to the zone of the unknown. And God, most of all, may the jar be known not as a place with good music or a good teacher or for a cool place to go. But God, would you make us known most of all as a church of people who walk across rooms in our hands and feet for your Son, Jesus. In His name we pray. Look forward to every day. 
in this place. If you haven't picked up your book for Walk Across the Room, you can. And uh, intro chapters one and two. We'll see you next week. Thanks.